This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, welcome to Enemies. My name is Lisa Traeger. Duh. Thank you for joining us, whether it's for me, our lovely guest, the topic, you stumbled, who cares, but hopefully you're just obsessed with me. Life is weird. I am um, sitting on a barely closed suitcase in just underwear. I have not brushed my teeth yet. I don't want to function. Everything's hard. So much flying. And then I woke up. My best friend lives in Sunset Park. That was wild. I just saw the Gilbert Gottfried news. And I don't want to do anything. I don't want to clean. I don't want... And just then it's all the personal stuff. So like... I thought my bathtub was clogged because of like my hair in the drain and I couldn't figure it out and I had to leave town and I came back and I was so upset and it was so gross and then it was just because it was like on the bathtub mode. I don't know. So that doesn't matter. It's just the little tasks. I just want to stay in my bed. I'm also going to a wedding on Saturday and I have nothing to wear, like legit fit into nothing. And this isn't about loving your body or not loving it or like whatever body changes, losing weight, gaining weight, like straight up. I have no clothes. Like I fit into nothing. It's so hard. And so I have to go to the plus bus (laughs) to see if there's a dress for me for this wedding, but I refuse to leave. I refuse to take my thyroid pillow that I need to take and order to eat um and so i just put on the simpsons and i went maybe this (laughs) this is the perfect time to do this intro and it's just fucked because this weekend was amazing i got to tour for my other podcast that's messed up we had four shows seattle and portland and like my best friend julia came who is in sunset park whatever just a lot of joy this weekend people bring such lovely gifts people were saying that they also listen to this podcast like it was just kind of glorious it's just like this moment of entering back and then i leave town again tomorrow and then i'm going to new york this is a lot all at once but positive note the portland oregon airport delta vibes has one of the best stores i've ever been to i bought baby gifts i bought fashion socks headband like i just It was amazing. One of the best airport stores I've ever been in in my life. This is very unhinged going from one topic to the next. It's just a ping pong ball of tragedies, overall macro issues, understanding to be grateful for your life, and then focusing on everything that you just cannot handle doing. I was going to record a podcast with a friend, and I was like, I don't know if I could do it. And I'm so sad that he wasn't feeling well, and it'll be, you know, an episode you'll hear soon. But like, I was like, I'm so sorry you're sick. But thank God, I just, I can't even, I can't even open a window, but I have to, cause I have to find a dress, but I can't drive. It has to be at the plus bus. Um, we're in the money. Okay. Wait. So yeah, it's ping. And then the macro, we have Ukraine. We have just the, just everyone that got fucking shot today in a train. I can't imagine the fear of all that. The fact that a man in a gas mask escaped. It's the little things. I was supposed to swim with a friend. I said, no, absolutely no swimming. So it's like all of the things all at once everywhere. That's the cool movie out now, right? Everything everywhere all at once. Something else amazing besides getting to meet people that listen to this pod and are enjoying it is our guest is amazing. Um, an enemy moment. Do you have people in your life that like do not reach out, check in, nothing except for updates about their baby or pregnant? If the, there's no gaps between the texts that are just sonograms, you're a psychopath. Okay. Anyways, um, 
we're in the money can i just keep singing that i'm gonna um introduce our guests like such a cool person we are not close friends of course we're comedians we've seen each other we've worked together we've been around town i'm sure we've been at a festival out of the state um or whatever state you're in we we've been there but um he's so cool accomplished funny talented and um i knew had a lot to him a parent a performer has been a boss a spouse he had so much smart insight about life and anyone that's vulnerable open honest self-aware like we're gonna fucking love it and we do voicemails hello call in i don't have the number with me i think i've communicated that that's not happening today in terms of this was i was supposed to send this in yesterday anywho it's incredible to get to sit down with someone he's been in girls so i love that forever but um we get lots of scoop and assessment and raising and therapy and growing and abuse and then we answer calls so thank you for listening and enjoy our lovely episode with baron vaughn superstar okay so let's start baron vaughn welcome oh hello how are you how you doing so official on the internet where did so you mentioned you moved you bought a house yes i now live in atlanta georgia i no longer live in los angeles california are you so happy with that decision hell yeah <laughs> you can give your eyes kind of lit up when you heard that are you uh contemplating such things are you just feeling the joy of a situation like i'm in it's just I hear great things about Atlanta. You get more bang for your buck. People are shooting down there and there's just more black people. I don't, I'm assuming that's an important factor for you. Maybe not. Yeah. It's nice when people like you can work and family and maybe spread out. I don't know. It's all like kind of, that's exactly, that's exactly why I moved. I have two kids. And so being able to raise them in a place that's not Los Angeles was really attractive to me. I don't know a lot of people that grew up in LA and when I meet them, they're upset that everybody's there. (laughs) I don't want my kids to be from LA. I want them to grow up in a real place. And then if they choose to go to LA, you do that like an adult, you know, busy Phillips was on a podcast. I don't know if you know her. She's from freaks and geeks back in the day. Okay. So she was on a podcast I was listening to. And the moment she moved her kids to New York, she overheard kids at her daughter's school, like bragging about which parent had the most Instagram followers. And she was like, I got to get the fuck out of Dodge. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she was like, my kids will know there's more to life outside of this job or this yes. industry or getting attention or whatever it is. And we're, you know, you know, you're in Los Angeles, right? I am. Yes. So you're like a working adult. Like you're just, there's a huffle, you know, to being in LA. It's hard to keep a child out of that. I know people who have done it. There's plenty of comics I know who have done it even that live in Los Angeles. They don't live in LA proper. Most of the time they like move to the Valley or something where they can get a house and there's they're thinking about school districts and, and things that I hadn't thought about since I was in school myself. I'm friends with a lot of parents and it seems like, did you realize that it was a 24 seven hard thing to do taking care of and raising children? Yes, I did. You knew it going in. 
But knowing that doesn't do anything. <laughs> you, can okay. know it, you know it in your head, but it, you know, getting having to experience it, know it in your body is a whole different thing. You know. And how old are they? My oldest is four, and he's going to be five in October. And my youngest is two; is about to be three this summer. Nice. Okay. So they're toddlers, basically. I mean, the oldest one can talk, and he communicates. He doesn't know all the words in the world. But he loves to show off every word that he does know. And then the youngest one has a really cute, squeaky voice. But they're pandemic babies. Wow. The oldest one turned two when the, when the pandemic started. So they don't even remember a time where there wasn't a lockdown. And I'm, I doubt that they'll remember this much. You know, I think Savion is getting to the Savion the oldest. Because I don't know when your youngest memories start. Mine are like, I always think it's like six. So he'll remember some of this stuff, maybe, but like in a distant, distant memory of like faraway childhood. But it's a weird, interesting. Well, experience. you're being positive about that. Or yeah, these right changes will forever, <laughs> or they will forever haunt him and change hey, who he is as a person. <laughs> I know parents who, a uh, friend of the family, has one child her child is afraid of any other child because it's always been stay away from other kids because there's been a pandemic and they're too young to get vaccinated. So that's some damage, (laughs) some damage. You're going to have to overcome that. I was going to ask about like conflict resolution between kids and Mm -hmm. how you do that, but they are so young. Are those even conversations being had? It's harder when they're this young because it's harder to communicate with them because explaining something to them does nothing. They're children. So it's like the youngest one doesn't even know how to talk all the way. That's the biggest thing is kids reveal to you who you are. They reflect back to you all of these things that if you're working on stuff. Yeah, I was <laughs> you about know. to say, but who's self-aware enough to know that? Because not like everything that happens to your kid is your fault. But at certain points, if your kid sucks, it's probably hard. You have, you know, is it, is it too hard to even be able to reflect on something like that? Like if a kid shoves a kid at the park, are you like, fuck that? No, it's like, they don't know how to express their emotions. If it's my kid that they're shoving, I might be like, it's not fuck. Oh, my child. You know, it depends. (laughs) It's always context, but no, you're right. I mean, but to me, I feel like all these, all this kid emotion stuff is still the, the same shit that all of us are dealing with. You know, I don't know. I learned that the the average person experiences the entirety of human emotion by the age of five. So everything you have felt or are going to feel, you've already felt it. We didn't have the words then. We just had ourselves. Well, that's why reflection is so good. And suddenly you're like, oh, I was jealous. Yes. I didn't know that. And now I know that's how I act. And I'll, I will remove myself if I feel that way. Or And that's where the, the conflict resolution comes in. Yeah. You have to put that, you have to instill that stuff, but it's, it's hard when I have a hard time doing it myself. Yeah. And you just see the kids getting frustrated and you don't really know what to do. Oh, no, no, no. It's not only that you see them getting frustrated is that you see them get frustrated in the exact way that you get frustrated. Oh, my God. You recognize your own habit on your own child because they're acting out what they've seen. And you go, oh, I don't know how to get myself out. That's where it gets trippy. And I think that's where Are a lot of people. Are you thinking of a specific example when you say that? 
Not necessarily. I mean, I see him or I watch him do things that I heard that I was like when I was a kid. Like I heard I was mm. jumping off the walls, high energy. And Savion, my oldest, is like that. And I'm like drained. I'm like, ah. And it's also that, do you have siblings? I do, yeah. My sister's 10 years older than me. So it's oh. a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, that's a big gap. They're a year and a half apart in age, basically. So they're like right behind each other in development. They say that having two kids is three times as hard because you have to parent both child, both, both childs. I believe that's the correct word. You have to, you have to parent the twin childs and then you have to parent their relationship because how they relate to each other is a fully completely different issue than who they are as individuals. And I'm so happy I heard that because I was ready for it when I started to see these dynamics that they have. And it's so crazy to try to adjust it. It's demanding. It's very demanding. I'll say that. At least for me, it is. And it's beautiful to have siblings because you have each other. But then deep down, you also know that they are talking shit about you at all times. <laughs> like you have your... <laughs> You have your biggest critics uh, joined because you cultivated this beautiful, hopeful relationship between them. And then what they bond over is like these motherfuckers that are raising us. Well, you know, also, like, I'll tell you this about being self-aware real quick. It doesn't necessarily help me. Sometimes I'm too self-aware and I'm projecting. I see too much of what I think they're doing because of how I think I would do the thing onto them so i don't know maybe that they're frustrated in the exact way that i am yeah no i was thinking self-awareness in a different way when you are aware but you can't change your behavior being aware they say is a step to it and that's at least good but it does suck when you are aware and you continue the not proper thing to do for what you're yes i know what you're talking i know these shorts are tight and they're not (laughs) tight but emotional shorts. I'm not going to do what I need to do about it. Mm. Okay, good. And you, uh, but you come here. That's the thing. You're going to come here for work. They're going to put you up at a nice hotel and you get to hopefully live like a nice existence when you are here. Well, you know, and I think I'm at the age and at the place emotionally where, I mean, I lived in LA for a decade. I lived in New York for a decade before that. So I did 10 and I did a dime in both cities, <laughs> you know, and now it's, I hate to say the phrase highly sensitive person, but I always feel like I feel the energy of the whole city. It's hard sometimes for me to feel grounded or whatever, like in the energy and the hustle and bustle of it, especially before I had kids, I would assume like maybe you like thinking of things all night, doing sets, being out at all times, like writing in some sort of way or coming up with ideas or working on something that I've always been working on. But like, I have to create way different boundaries with that stuff. Not to imply that you have no boundaries with that stuff. Cause I don't know. I don't have boundaries. I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't have boundaries when it comes to work, but it's all I really want at the moment. All I've ever wanted is to work hard in this industry and get to work. So I was just talking about this with a friend. It is strange that you like work, 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 work so hard 
to then be able to work so so hard again it is just work so you can work so you can keep working and so i'm happy with that i do i would like to fall in love i wish that i made that a bigger priority in my life and did what Mm. i needed to do but what else am i gonna do you want that now i would love to have that now I would love to have had it always, but I'm, you know, I have my own blocks, but all I've been doing in therapy for five years, I've, I have gotten so good and out of so many things and stuck in others, but the whole time the consistent is trying to meet someone to be with and quit smoking weed. And I can't, and I'm about to light a joint while we're even talking. So those are all the things it's like, it's, Oh yeah. I've always just want to, I would like to meet my partner, but there's just so much work and, so my last failed kind of relationship I did project an image onto a person That wasn't mm. fair to them Because I wanted this thing And I wanted them to be that thing for me But it wasn't yeah, about them yeah. at all I call that the, the carnival off. cutout version of a relationship Where it's like a picture in your face here And you just put He's got to put some, a face in there <laughs> Yes, exactly Wow, that's really good Okay, we're going to do a voicemail If that's okay We're going to listen to someone that's having issues Mm. and then we will hopefully it can spark something or we can help them. And this one's called karaoke queen and I haven't heard any of it either. So it's going to be fun. Hi Lisa. I need your help. Um, Okay. So I recently moved to the Midwest, small Midwestern town. Um, I moved from a big coastal city, so big transition, not very many friends here, but one thing that my fiance and I love to do is go to the local karaoke bar. Um, unfortunately, I have some beef with the fucking karaoke DJ. <laughs> Basically, he's just an asshole. Um, my balding fiance, he calls a Nazi. Our other friends, he said, he met, talks about his porno stash. You know, he just like doesn't have a welcoming presence. And I think karaoke, you gotta be nice. You gotta get people feeling included. Mm. He pokes fun at people's songs. He plays songs out of order. I mean, I'm definitely a karaoke purist in the sense of <laughs> fucking it up constantly. The so last weekend, I did sort of yell into the microphone that I hated him at the end of my song. Um, not really effective. You know, he just like spoke over me, but it's pretty clear there's some beef. Basically, I just want to, I don't know, ruin his life, prank him, cause some pain, make him realize what an asshole he is. So would love some advice. Um, I'm willing to really push the limits here. So, okay. Thanks. Bye. Wow. Love her energy. Very self-aware. Hell yes. You know, wants what she wants. I mean, the thing that popped into my head immediately was get a petition going for everyone that doesn't like him and then show it to the bar manager or whoever's in charge and go, I got these many signatures. We want to karaoke. Wow. And we want to do it without him. That's a really thoughtful, intelligent way to get back at him and realistic. <laughs> Mine was like a high school movie where I was like, start your own show. Have a battle of the bands. Hell yeah. That's what I'm thinking because, but I also, I feel for this man because he's, he's trying to connect 
but it failing because he's not funny and he's not good. Mm, like mm. he's, you know, he doesn't get what he's doing isn't cool or good, but he's trying so hard and failing for like he wants them to like it and he doesn't have the skills. This sounds like a person who's done stand up talking. Definitely, definitely yeah. like <laughs> yes. when you're on stage and you do not connect with an audience and uh, but you have to be up there still, you know. Well, because I karaoke um, with this uh, performer back in the day. They went as Ham Sandwich and it was like a drag character that was a bitch. And her thing was like being disgusted at you. But it was like, but I loved it. And well, you so, knew what you were signing up for. Oh, yeah. And one day I walked in on my birthday and I just threw money and I went, Britney Spears for my birthday. And she went, what song? And I went, test me. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but I liked that vibe. But mm, I understand mm. wanting positivity from, you know, because some people it's vulnerable to sing. Some people like it took all of their courage to put their name down and then you're calling them a Nazi and they're like, they might not like it. I wouldn't care. Right. Like I'd be like, okay. Well, this, I mean, this seems like a clear, uh, you know, big city, small city kind of a thing. Clearly. Oh yes. She had karaoke in New York. She said a coastal city. So it could be, you know, it could be any of these New York, DC, who knows, but like big city karaoke, you have your pick. You have a lot of different places that you could go. And you have to be pretty dang good to have a good karaoke night, to know how to read it. You have to be like part comedian, part DJ, part therapist, <laughs> you know? So obviously this guy is like, I kind of am on her side about, you need to be able to read the room and you need to be able to adjust. And this guy's not able to adjust. I think the petition thing that you suggested is a great idea. Someone is fucking knocking on my door. Hold on. Uh oh. insane. Knock, 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 and don't leave the door. Oh, no, no, she's gonna. She's being really nice to somebody. And she said, yay. I'm assuming something good happened. Let's, let's find out. Let's find out. I've been in an ongoing battle. My that mailboxes story. were against code. And so they're like, hey, we're going to fix the mailboxes, but they're just not going to do the mail. So it's been a month and a half and the post office was holding my mail hostage, refusing to release it because they wouldn't fix the mailboxes. But the mailboxes were on back order and we've been waiting for these mailboxes. So we got that a new mailbox. Not- <laughs> Dude, wow, that's a real it's, that's a real story. <laughs> like, our mailboxes aren't up to code. Wow. They're just like a shady company. But then I went to the post office and they're like, no, we're not giving anyone the mail. We don't give a shit. And I was like, you can't hold my mail. This is like, <laughs> you, got checks I, you know, it's tax season, bitch. Mm. Um, <gasps> You're right. But everything is fine because, well, I mean, I am a gentrifier and that is real, mm. but <laughs> sometimes with these families, I'm like, thank God you have an annoying Jewish white woman here because I am getting things done. I'm calling, I'm withholding rent. <laughs> I am like on the phone. I, cause I was like, what did everyone else say? And they're like, no one said anything. I was like, oh, I'll say something. Like I am just <laughs> <laughs> on top of it. I'm like, we need notice when you do this and that. Like, I'm just like a psychopath to these people and my neighbors are just calm good families but sometimes i'm like i'm here for you guys i will be as annoying as possible to these people i think that that this 
is also your answer to this woman with the karaoke thing. It seems like it's a perfect parallel. Like this is exactly what she needs to do. Also, I, w- I wonder if it's her dream to do it and maybe she could be the leader or help find the leader yes. or like something Produce like it. that. If you know work. what's good, but if you know what's good and you know what you, but you don't want to be on stage, you know, and you know how to put things together and make a vibe, that's, that's producing. Produce it. Yeah. Produce it. Take it from under him. Start one somewhere else. That is the practical version of the rock and roll high school. <laughs> yeah there you go so something that i gripe on all the time it's kind of like i'm like a kathy cartoon at this point <laughs> but unequal labor within heteronormative relationships bothers me Woof. and okay, i'm wondering well i'm just wondering is that something that has been something that you've experienced in your home having two children with a woman absolutely Absolutely. Um, yeah, if I could be real, it's a big part of it's a big part of what we discussed because neither of us really ever planned on this. You know, like neither of us were like, "Oh, I want to get married and have children," but we found each other and kind of rose to this occasion. You know, and so uh, it's an old Shakespeare quote: it's "Like uh, some are born great." Some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. Well, we thrust upon each other and got two pieces of greatness out of it. So it's kind of like I'm the breadwinner, whatever that means. And she's the stay-at-home mom, whatever that means. Just want to make sure the listeners know I'm using air quotation marks. So these are like roles that neither of us ever foresaw for ourselves. Plus, it's an ongoing discussion about how to mitigate that you know how to transform it or what it really means i guess in in society in general you know like there's always these legal definitions for these things but the law as fucked up and tricky as the law is as a lot of people out there are experiencing you know what you have to structure in your home i guess in a sort of a way uh, That's why they want to keep people out of these laws so that we can remain heteronormative because people think that that's like the structure of a family. Neither of us believe that, but here we are suddenly in this place where we're at, we're like subverting the role, but playing the role at the same time. It causes a lot of tension and most of it internal for me as well, because I like to not think of myself as a typical dude, but when I see myself acting like... <laughs> sounding like smelling like a typical dude must be a dude and then suddenly i'm like who am i two four six one over here and we end up getting into these you know sort of like very existential <laughs> discussions if we have the energy it, most of the time it's passing out these days yeah knowing there's much to be discussed but there's not a lot of space to discuss it and that's the biggest hardest thing is not being able to process things discuss them right away and having to like quote unquote be an adult and be like you know what let me not react emotionally here and save this you know slap for a different time not in the middle of the Oscars. You know what I mean? 
Yes. Yes. It's like the delicate balance of just say things in the moment efficiently with you know in the so you're not festering but then it's also like this is not the moment and or i'm just gonna let it go because i know where you're coming from but then it's just eating at you anyways but you know there's a lot on their plate and then i don't know it's just so much yes that's the thing it's like sometimes when i um, react emotionally i'm in an emotional place it's hard to tell how much of that is from the present moment and how much of that is from the past because some of that doesn't even have anything to do with her. But in the moment, if I'm quote-unquote triggered, my body don't know that. And that gap between that psychological understanding and that visceral understanding has always been a problem for me. And that's the thing that I feel like during the pandemic, I've been able to close more and more. Like recognize the trigger and see it as outside of the conflict? or Yeah, recognize recognize my physical reaction recognize the feeling of my blood boiling or my back getting tense or crunching my jaw and these signals these physical signals that we all give ourselves that some shit's about to go down i react very physically i'm a very physical person and so the hardest thing about talk therapy for me has always been like i understand that but how do i get it into my body like it's hard for me to shake this from the brain down into my body if i'm always kind of shivering and so my therapist is always making me hit like get a bat and do stuff and it's humiliating and i'm always like just not now and she goes no you have to feel it so go dance for a minute and come back on the screen or whatever (laughs) you're so annoying but you talking about that connection between physical and emotional mental Well, she's right. That's the thing is that you have to feel your feelings like you can't just bite everything down, but you have to find other ways to express it that are not destructive, I guess. This might sound like you're a therapist. No, the destructive, it's like purposely destroying your life. I'm working on a new joke about like, I hate when people give you practical advice for things. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, no, I know. What are you What are you saying to me right now? Of course I know how to do that. It's annoying to me. Oh, just do that. Yeah, you don't think I've put that together? You mean the number one solution? You mean the number one solution that would be obvious for this? You think I didn't figure that out? It's that easy? Or like a friend had to send me something and it's been taking longer than I would like. And finally, you know, she was like, I'm sorry. And I go, Aaron suck. I am not going to be the one ever mad at someone. I wouldn't want to send your hat back in the mail either. So... gotta go to a post office exactly so i'm just like uh yeah i'd like it i know why you're not doing the errand of course you're not gonna do it why would you do it i i don't like errands i kind of like errands sometimes i'll admit it depends on the errand if it involves power tools then i like it okay but that's like a hobby that's an activity exactly but it's still a physical expression right it's the same thing as like exercise or hitting something with the bat. If I find something to do with my hands, hobbies, if you will, because I've turned what, you know, the thing that we have done is we, we've turned our hobby into our careers. Yeah. And the, I had a job that I didn't like doing this for free until this became my job. Mm-hmm. And now this is my job. So I do the thing I like as a job. 
but I don't like all the job parts of the thing that I like. No, and that's the new goal is like make enough money so someone you could pay someone to do the thing you don't want to do. Well, that's what I like to me. The moment I can pay someone to do all of my email, like I, I want to live like Lady Gaga. This is what I. This is kind of what I always say. Like. Whenever I'm really busy or I'm flying somewhere, I have a lot of work to, and I'm just like on a, I'm like, this is Lady Gaga and you need to, just, you need to do this. Okay. Like I make it cool where I'm like, how lucky am I? I'm like slammed all day because I'm doing radio interviews like Lady Gaga. So that's mm-hmm. what I keep in my head. Um, but I even lost my train of thought, but that's what I always think. And like, but I do want to live your life like Lady Gaga. You want to I want to be told a schedule. I want before I go to bed, <laughs> someone emails me my day the next day. Be there at one. Memorize that. Go there. There's this. That got it. We'll do it with bells on. That would be my dream. It would be my dream for someone to go tomorrow. You're on set from this and that. You have these shows. I took care of this. You have a doctor's appointment on Thursday. I have a car picking you up. Like, ugh. Good help is hard to find, as they say. I have a friend. I just, I told her, I go, the moment I could pay you over 100000 in your health insurance, I hope you come with me. Wow. That's a pact. Yeah. So, but she's on her path doing her own shit. She's in higher education. She's now going to be, I think, on a track to become a dean. Like, she has her own full life. So, um, mm-hmm. so we don't know. But also, like... Take a pause on grad school, honey. Let's go on the road. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, make the dinner reservations. Let's have fun for a little bit if I get to be in that position. But um, you're already giving me free advice all day, talking me off ledges. So, like, why not get six figures for it? The first TV show I ever did was filmed in Canada. Mm-hmm. And there were two background people that were older and that was their life is that they like had these full lives had retired and said you know what i'm just gonna go do backgrounds on sets and this one woman said she was doing it for the stories because she like hangs you know she has these dinner parties and then she could be like yes i was background on the brad pitt movie you know the other day and i was like what don't you know i assume that's what canadians sound like i don't i have no idea I like that. Yeah, I mean, but you're right. Good help is very hard to find. Good anything's hard to find. Yeah, there's bad nail techs and good ones. <laughs> Someone's going to cut your hair great or not. Like everyone, you know. There's bad karaoke and there's good karaoke. But it helps me. Um, not. I'm not as trusted because it's just like, I don't know if you're good at it. You're just a guy. You're just somebody that could have ulterior motives. You could be robbing the company blind. I was a receptionist at a hair salon, and then they were discontinuing a certain... I loved it. It was a fun job. But the products, there was like a line of products that was going to was going to be no longer. And so they had to get rid of them. So then there was a contest. Whoever could sell the most of it wins whatever prize. So then I see these people selling their clients this product that they don't believe in because... 
they want to win this prize and sell the most of this thing. And to me, I was like, Oh, I will never trust you. Like you don't care about your client. You don't care about the goodness of their hair or anything. You're just trying to sell this product. And that Mm. changed everything. And my hairstylist, I recently told her she does listen. What's up, Lacey. Um, But I was (laughs) like, you never push these products on me. I'm like, there's a wall of products and you've never once even tried to sell me a product. I'm like, you know, I'm bad with money. Like I would have bought in all of this. But because she's not pushing these products on me, I'm like, you're a real one, you know? I don't know. It's like, I'm clearly a mark. I don't understand. <laughs> yes. I haven't taken advantage of this. I'm a mark. Sometimes I go into these stores in my neighborhood that are just, and I'm like, there's nothing to buy here. And I am begging you to take my money. <laughs> begging you. I'm coming here. I need a dopamine rush, and you have nothing. Mm. This is not a good store. If I can't find something. Well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the exposure therapy that you need to get away from the dopamine rush. Am I right? No, I've had moments now where I'm like holding stuff at TJ Maxx and then I drop it. And And what song is playing in your head when you do that? (laughs) No song like true panic. Oh, I actually, I do have a Lily Tomlin question for you since you've worked with her, but have you seen her Huckabees? Yes. You know, Jude Law, it's like he's always telling this tuna fish sandwich story with Shania Twain over and over and over again. And that's oh how I feel God. sometimes. I'm just like, I've been telling this story for seven years, you know, or like I'm always talking about the clothing piles in my apartment. It's like my tuna fish sandwich. It's just like, how are you? There's piles in my house. Like, just, ugh. But. And you don't have to say anything, but Lily Tomlin is in one of my favorite movies, Big Business, like truly a dream person. And what made me love her even extra besides the amazing work she does is her yelling at David O. Russell on the set (laughs) of I Heart Huckabees. Okay, explain yourself. Why is that? Because sir, she's just like, we got the shot, motherfucker. I'm Lily Tomlin. And stop it. Stop it. We don't need another take. You're bad at your job. You're not artistic. Go fuck yourself. I'm Lily Tomlin. <laughs> First of all, I'm glad that you're on Lily's side. I'm on Lily's side of that clip. Um, I will tell I will tell everybody here and now that Lily Tomlin is a goddess and a sweetheart, one of the most genuine, nicest people I've ever met. And it was like a joy to work with her. I don't and that clip, people go like, oh, Lily Tomlin, because that clip went viral or whatever. That like even viral, like at the beginning of viral being said. You know, we were like, that, that clip is catching one. We need, we need a word for that. James? I don't know if someone named James who just has a bunch of coins, praises he wants to coin. Anyway, the point is, uh, David O. Russell is apparently a notorious asshole. Mm-hmm. And the only time I've ever seen Lily Tomlin get remotely frustrated is when people condescend to her, talk down to her like she's an idiot. And that is all I have ever heard about David O. Russell. <laughs> he talked to people like they're the stupidest people on the face of the planet. And so I can understand why Lily Tomlin's like, we're done here. I don't like this. This is not fun to work with you. But he was on the other side of the camera. That's what annoys me about that is that people think something's wrong or it implies something about Lily. And I don't think that does at all. She was standing up for herself, if anything. It was for herself. Like, I'm more disgusted I like Christian Bale, you know, like that to me is gross. Like, I, you well, know, the way I, you know, I, but 
If I can, is it because I interject. like the people? <laughs> yes, if I please. Can interject. Okay. Have you worked with him too? No, I haven't worked with Christian Bale. Uh, my wife Rihanna has a great take on this, though, which is that if you listen to that clip, he never drops his accent. That's impressive. <laughs> accent. He never drops his accent. Like he was in the zone, you know. So look. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you. L- okay. Lori Kilmartin has an amazing tweet that I've quoted for years, and she goes, "You know, Meryl Streep played a woman who had to choose which child she was gonna let the Nazis kill. You never hear stories about her being a bitch on set, do you? You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> Fuck you with your Batman Joker. Fuck you with your bullshit. Why isn't it?" <laughs> Ever when it's a good character, when you're playing a good character, why aren't you in method? Go fuck oh, see, yourself. Oh, but that's that's what I think is the pro- that's why I think it's even harder. Okay, I can't think as a, of an actor of anything harder than having to act like a robot apocalypse has happened, and I'm in a bunker sending a message out to nobody. And by the way, the movie was what movie not is that? The best. It's Terminator Salvation. Which okay, is the movie. I like that you assumed I would know that. <laughs> I know, I know. This is the movie that Christian Bale lost it on that guy. Oh, okay, okay. It was the set of Terminator Salvation, as far as I understand, as a Terminator movie. It's the hardest stuff is the most ridiculous stuff, as far as I'm concerned. So it's kind of like, I have to pretend that robots killed my family right now. This is very difficult. That's me. I'll let it go. It is, but the crew's there before that Christian got to set. They're there after he leaves. They're not sitting in the trailer. They're not, you know what I mean? It is hard work when I'm on a oh. set and I see all the hours and the things. I get it. I understand how hard it is to be an actor, but it's just like, honey, I don't like anyone that actually takes themselves too seriously. I'll say that. So maybe oh, that's a part of it. I don't think anybody takes themselves too, more seriously than Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Day Exactly. And maybe that's it. But at least he's quiet. <laughs> you, never, you know he's quiet he's just like it's pretending true. to have to it's paint true. with his toes like he's just uh focused on that so i don't know i get it no i'm not saying that crews don't work hard i'm saying that it's hard <laughs> Quoted. To that's the episode it's title. hard to act like robots mom. murdered your family <laughs> no i love seeing the behind the scenes videos of like green screen sticks with like that's the dragon talk to it by the way that's every that's all that film acting has become is acting against screens with tennis balls on sticks. Yeah. Um, I'm so thrilled to hear, uh, though about your take on Lily Tomlin and what a true goddess she is. And yeah, never did I hear that and go, fuck Lily Tomlin. I was like, like, yeah, fuck you, bro. And I've never watched anything he's ever made. Sorry, bro. That's not true. (laughs) That's not true at all. Um, you are on sets all the time. What do you do when you're frustrated with your lines, your accent? You're not nailing it. Someone's like, well, I mean, what? look, I, I I have nowhere near the experience that of any of the people that we're talking about, and I don't. You have even a hefty know. IMDb. You have a hefty I, IMDb. Well, I appreciate that. It's very it's very rare that I get frustrated on a set that I feel like. When I get frustrated is when I just disagree with something or I feel like I don't know why I'm being asked to do something. But most of the time I can find a reason, you know, to either talk to that person. And sometimes I understand that some people just can't be talked to. You know, like, it's just like, okay, this is a person that has a style 
of saying things or wants a certain thing so I can fit into their little box just to keep the peace. It's about picking my battles. And if it's somebody who I don't really, I'm like, I don't need to fight you on a thing. So I haven't been in the, I haven't fortunately yet been in a situation where I've had to like get up in somebody's face. That reminds me of a good note I got once where if you get notes you don't like, you go, you go, thanks. And then you go, we tried it. We just didn't think it was right. And I go, okay, I'm going to try to do that from now on. We'll try it. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I say, I'll try it. I'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> such such uh, BS. But you were also in charge of a show. Were you not? You produced a show. I did, yes, yes. Yes. I had the So how is that show. different? Well, Because yeah. you're now a leader. Yeah. That's well, the thing with like a David O. Russell story. Like to me, that's like, oh, how not to act. Okay. So like, that's a lesson. I see someone acting crazy. I'm not going to act that crazy. And so well, um, I think that what you said about not taking yourself too seriously, I think really is for me, at least was the key. Knowing that we're there to have fun and make something that's fun, you know, and do something that we like doing. I think that the leader, you know, um, they have to set the tone and how the set's going to operate. And my situation was a very unique, particular thing. And, you know, there were a lot of different frustrations with that, you know, and luckily I had a partner that opened my eagle. It always had like a take or a perspective of things that I could not see, you know, so we like collaborated in this really great way. I wanted to have a place where people liked going there. You know, I, I never really understood the taskmaster kind of approach you know, like we're on the clock, we're paying you like this kind of a thing where you're, you like people are only worth what you're paying them, you know, or whatever. I wanted people to have fun to come to work, you know, as much as possible. Like, obviously I always kind of trusted that things would get done because most people, it turns out know how to do their jobs and you don't have to like breathe down their neck most of the time. Um, and I say that as somebody who will probably be way more controlling the next time I'm in charge. You are from new negroes i learned a lot about how things operate behind the scenes and that where where communication does and doesn't happen and how to kind of solve problems like that during that time i was so you know kind of like on edge about like this is like a show i've always wanted to make in some sort of way that i i don't think i was, I was pretty emotional i think i was relatively level-headed but i think that there i had a lot of emotional reactions to things where i didn't since I had never been there before, didn't have a frame of reference on. And now that I feel like I kind of do, I think I know how to navigate things more smoother for the next time, if that makes any sense. Yes, everything is lessons. It's like taking everything that it's you lessons. fucked up and yeah. then not fucking up in that way the next time. And then again, it's like a continuous thing until there are, and I, you know, until I no one. I think it's always lessons to be learned. Yeah, and I take it as a sign that a lot of people that worked on the show when I talk to them or see them, remind me how much fun they had. Remind me what a great experience it was. A marriage came out of the show, actually, now that I think of it, two people met and got married. But like that's kind of cool to me that like people fell in love yeah, on my absolutely. on my set. You know? Um now working with a partner, creating this show together, mm -hmm. what um what I've had to learn working with a partner, um, I, you know, I have a SVU podcast with Kate yes. Frank, is to, I was in the beginning, she's very um, 
Excel spreadsheets, Google Cal invites. There's a folder here. Each thing has eight tabs. This goes there. This is that. I've responded. I've sent Venmo. Like, it's just there. And I was doing the shit I'm supposed to do, but it made me feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, I have to do more. She's working hard. She's doing more. And I had to be like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm going to do. And I'm Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. to accept my strengths in this duo and do what I can do. And not have it affect me, but appreciate her for her strengths and hope she does the same. But, of course, I'm sure she's frustrated. I'm frustrated at times. But it was uh, very much like we're all coming with our own strengths and weaknesses. And let's support each other and not get mad that someone's not doing the thing that you already know how to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Long-winded way of saying, like, was that something you've experienced working with a friend and making a show? Well, I think that... um any working relationship, you know, is like an actual relationship. If you're emotionally invested in what you're making together, there's always a learning curve to liking someone and then knowing what it's like to create something with them and to be around them and to collaborate with them in a different way. Open Mike and I had had a live show for a while. So we had already had a bit of a shorthand and, you know, one of the reasons we even started to collaborate is because we found out how similar a lot of our background was. And, and just, you know, he liked the way I talked about things. I liked the way that he talked about things. So when, when there was really difficult situations and I was, I was usually feeling like I was like sometimes hyper violent, you know, like vibrating, emotional, trying to figure out like how I felt about things, trying to like keep the panic you know, at bay, because if the panic informs everything, I'm just going to be like lashing out at all times. But Mike was always really, you know, I heard this podcast recently about it. It was called the hot, cold, emotional gap. Oh no, the hot, cold empathy gap, something like that. And it's about how, when you're in a hot emotional state, you do things that when you're in a cold emotional state, you go, why the fuck did I do that? <laughs> yeah. And you go, why did there's no logical fucking read like you and you cannot understand yourself. You have no empathy for yourself when you're in a hot emotional state. When you're looking back later at it from a cold place and you go, well, next time I'll. But that's not but that you're saying that from the cold place. You're not thinking about what you're like when you're hot. Mm-hmm. So I would get hot and my is really cool. And so we get always kind of balance things to, to the things. Yeah, we're rational when we're hot. And then when we're, when we're looking back at it rationally, we have no empathy for ourselves. But it's kind of like you got you to gotta recognize that when you get hot, you might not be coming from the right place, which kind of brings it back to like navigating any kind of relationship. Well, or any type of action, and this is, like, so not related. I just, like, research murder all the time, but it's, like, <laughs> when um, when women escape in whatever way they do after being, tor- you know, Stockholm Syndrome, like, all of that stuff, it's always, like, well, mm-hmm. why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? And it's, like, honey, you're asking a lot out of people in an abnormal situation to, Absolutely. Like, remember to do these things when they're fully being trapped somewhere. And, like, Absolutely. their survival and psychological, and that's, like, the other aspect. But, yeah, looking back, I'm, like, fuck, I wish I didn't yell. Why did I yell? Why did I get so emotional? And it's just, like, you're expecting so much of yourself to be able, and that's maturity or whatever it is when you can. One time I was seething, and I put it down, and then after everyone left, I was, like, I'm pissed. And they were like, we would have had no idea. What I liked about Mike is that 
she could recognize, he recognizes that there's an, a, there's a value, there's an inherent value to an emotional state. It doesn't mean you have to get pissed, but if you are pissed, there's a reason. You're not being heard. Something that you need isn't happening. So that would help me, you know, like what's, what's, why are you pissed, you know, and getting to what the actual deal is. Instead of me going like, you know what, fuck everybody, fuck them, fuck their mama, fuck their mama's cousin, second cousin, dog. I don't give a fuck if it's a labradoodle. You know, just going down the damn list of who everybody that I'm mad at. Mike, have you done that at work, or was it only with you and Mike? Like, did you ever have to go back to set? Okay, you didn't ever have to go back to set and go, I'm sorry. Here's the taco truck. I lost. There were maybe no, no, no. There were maybe a couple times I blew up on set, but it was never anything where I was like, I had to come in with flowers the next day. Like, I'm sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. I yelled at you. Like, it was never anything. Like, I didn't have to Ike Turner it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what was your relationship like with? Like the network, if you can comment, are people trying that? Uh, yeah, it's your show. You sold the show. You're making your show. And then you have people that are. So I sometimes I would take things personally from producers or from network that I had to kind of, you know, Mike helped me, you know, and, you know, I won't say that he didn't take some things personally either, but there were some things that we had to kind of sit back on and go, all right, well, there's a reality to how things can happen here. And that, you know, it, it's very easy to get frustrated and kind of live in that place. But sometimes, you know, and I think we did a pretty good job, like, navigating most of our frustrations. But I think that uh, communication, again, is, like, the most important thing. And knowing how to communicate. Because I think that's where things kind of got mixed up a lot of the time, is how certain messages were received, how certain messages were communicated. And it was like... But then it would get cleared up later. But I'm in a hot state the entire time. And if you're in that place, then it's not easy to create. You know, it's not easy to lead. So I'm like trying to keep this other thing that has nothing to do with the writer's room, if you will, at bay. And so it's like you are thinking about, I was like, wow, I'm in the writer's room trying to come up with sketches, but I have to check on this and I have to check on that. And every now and then I would be like, I guess this is what, you know, when I'm having some IBS, I'm like, I guess this is what, <laughs> like, it's an intentional break. Thank you, guts. I guess this is what being a leader is, you know? Uh, and that's, does that make any sense? Anything I'm saying? It you're all just, makes you're sense. You're looking at me so, and you're listening so intently that I'm yeah. like, I'm like, <laughs> is she just waiting for me to make sense? <laughs> No, you make sense. I am an interrupter, and so I am doing a. Th- I'm doing the opposite, listening, mm. not <laughs> and not hopping on in. Yeah, the being a. Sh- it's what ruin. We get to be creative, and then all the other stuff is like so annoying. Yeah, but there's a. But now I understand that all the other stuff has a reason and a place and a purpose. And there's a lot again. This communication thing. I, the yeah. commu- saying communication is key is like telling someone to eat healthy and lose weight, like an exercise. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know. That's how I feel. I'm, you don't that's, know. that's the end of every episode is being like, com- I guess communication and honesty is no, what no. we all really need to go for. And well, it's look, like, yes, of course. <laughs> I, I intentionally use cliches. Me too. I'm a, I'm a, I like quotes. Because I think it's important to figure out what the fuck communication is and what the fuck key is. 
And that's the debate. You know, like, what the hell does that mean? I don't think that anybody else can answer it for you. Well, we should just touch on what is your long journey of different sorts of therapies and working on yourself in this long journey. Wondering, did you grow up in a hippy-dippy open home? Was there always an emphasis on feelings therapy? Is this something like something happened to you? So you decided and then you switched around. Was it for a script? What what is it? Mm. Yeah, well... I mean, and are some of these with drugs? Like, is there ayahuasca or is this just like I'm going and getting real, you know? No, no, I've, 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 I've had the tea. I've been, I've been fortunate to have the tea. (laughs) I have to say in that voice. Um, but like, I have tried a lot of different things. Um, but to use a cliche, all roads lead to Rome. Yeah. That's all I'll say about that. I'm joking. Um, it is all I thought about it was Rome shit. is built in a day. It wasn't built in a day. I don't know that all roads lead to Rome. That's a new one. Oh, you don't know all, all roads lead, lead to Rome? No. Rome was such a powerhouse taking up, I mean, this gigantic nation that was unlike anything at the time. And part of their superiority complex was making sure that every road literally came to Rome, that every road should lead to Rome is the center of the world. So every road should come here eventually. Was okay. that not real? It, it, I have no idea, actually. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, thank God you mentioned that. Good. I was going to take that good. forever. <laughs> That's my take on what that means. All roads lead to Rome. Um, I think that the cliche usually means that it's all different paths to the same place, right? Mm. But when I say all roads deep to Rome, I mean like, yeah, this is a security complex. <laughs> and this mofo wants to make sure everything's about them. Um, it's just to say that you, you used the word stories earlier. You said like stories. you have a lot of stories, like you tell yourself a lot of stories or something like that. Like, oh, you have like a lot the of projection. Story. The projections, yeah. Oh, or the tuna sandwich of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like always. Oh yeah, that's from my art Huckabees, right? Yeah. Well, this, that's kind of my take on it all, is that we are all a personality is a stack of stories that we're constantly telling ourselves. Stories that we were given, stories that we picked up, stories that we decided to make true. And some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them we know about. Most of them we don't. And so for me, I think that this biggest work, the work for me has been figuring out what the hell are my unconscious stories the things that I believe about myself that I am acting from, but I don't see. And all of it has been about this self-hatred, the self-loathing that I have. And it's born of like, I mean, I had a really dark childhood. <laughs> I'll put it like that. I had all of the abuses, I'll put it like that. And these are things that I didn't really start to think about as having any kind of effect on me until I was in my 30s. And so like in my whole 20s, I was in New York, you know, literally running around the city, trying to do shows, going to auditions, whatever the hell I could do. And it's very easy to be alone and to hide in that situation. And then in Los Angeles, it's also very easy to hide. I wouldn't—I don't know that I'm agoraphobic or anything like that, but 
I was kept inside a lot as a kid. And so I have this fear of outside, but I also have this fear of being inside. Like nowhere is safe as far as I'm concerned. I also grew up in a neighborhood that was like, had crime and stuff like that. So it was like, had crime, uh, had murder. I'll say it like that. Uh, every neighborhood has crime, <laughs> you know, just who's collar. But uh, so the streets were dangerous and the inside was dangerous. So I'm seeing that I've internalized never being safe. And it's turned into like this. Uh, the, like the latest therapy that I'm doing is something called NARM. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm. Have you heard of somatic experiencing? No. Norm is an Ask me another question. Ask you another. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Ever been to... Okay, I was trying to name some place near Chicago. Uh, But my brain was like, not now. Norm is... Okay, so somatic experiencing is like... It's getting a lot of heat right now. It's basically, as opposed to talk therapy, where it's like... Talk therapy is about uncovering your stories. It's start. It's about like uncovering what you believe about yourself or about the world, and where and why you got these things, which things do and don't serve you, and trying to manage those things, trying to manage which stories to invest in and which ones to divest in. Right? Somatic experiencing is like all of those stories. We all know, we know we accept the truth that all of those stories have some sort of physiological effect on us mm-hmm. right to have any kind of like trauma or whatever the heck we want to call it um has some sort of physical effect so it's like i have a lot of say jaw tension that's a bad example but apparently tmj is like a one of these things that is so common but it's also a usually common symptom of some sort of like a, abuse as well I've been told by my one of one of my therapists, I guess. I have I have been at eighteen. Uh, not really, not really. No, but do you go to multiple at one time, or you've like transitioned from I, one to another? I have a talk therapist, and since I have a talk therapist, somatic experiencing is more about nervous system regulation. Mm-hmm. It's about your body is shaking, or just trying to figure out how to like be calm. And besides. Because, like, that's what I was saying earlier about, like, I can understand my stories. I get it up here, like, in my head, but I don't get it in my body, you know? So this is the first time I feel like I'm kind of embodying a self-worth, if that makes any sense. That's the thing that I've never really ever experienced. And NARM is an offshoot of somatic experiencing that's apparently specifically for, like, childhood abuse stuff <laughs> very open thank you for what? sharing oh yeah no it problem is yeah the like the normal timetable they sell us as children mm-hmm. avoid so much of like the self-betterment that would help us all throughout all of our lives but most people in my life including me we're not really getting into self-improvement on the inside till the 30s Uh It's uh because all of a sudden it's like these little things where one thing my therapist said about my parents and I go, oh, my God, duh. Of course, that's why I like isolate and do this. That's how I dealt with problems. I didn't have this. And 
oh my god now i can like move through or then you go home and you see your parents interact with each other and you go well that's why i act like that that's why i act (laughs) like that i don't want to do this again i gotta switch it up because i'm not getting into this pattern and but it's like how maybe we wouldn't be able to do that younger maybe some people are doing it younger but i feel in my friend group or maybe it's just the generation we're in and we're lucky to do it in our 30s but it is it's just wild how many people are trying their best ignorant to the facts that we're all or just trying to survive and can't deal with those things who know you know like in trying to survive the survival thing is the right thing these are all survival things right yeah we're all just we're all just trying to survive right but then you get out of the situation that you have to survive but these skills have been finely tuned you know into your personality or this the way that you handle confrontation or any of these things and it's it's a while before you realize that that has any effect on you you know or others and i think that that has to do with you know i heard this thing about the about parenting the other day and this woman said that the concept of parenting is new like it's like the 60s, 70s that we started to think about, we started to talk about parenting as a concept and parenting became like an industry. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that family, like we don't have all this extended family. Like it's like this whole idea of like we're supposed to be in tribal units where it's like it's our parents and our cousins and our uncles and our grandmas and our grandpas and our like, you know, you knew you would know all these people in your neighborhood. You might be related to a lot of the people in your neighborhood. That's the way that people learn interpersonal skills. That's the way that we learn that as a kid is by actually being around people. But as work becomes more important to us as a society, the economy and all this stuff, and people start to move around, because I think about this a lot too, moving across the country for a job was insane before the 80s. Before the 80s, it was like you just stayed where you were. And then suddenly it was like, oh, the economy crashed. I got to move across the fucking country to find a damn job. And that became normal. Now it's just normal. Now it's just the expectation that you would move across the country. Of course, I'll move to Hawaii for a job or whatever, you know. But that wasn't normal. So, like, these are the things that, like, we are, we don't learn these interpersonal skills growing up because we are in this career lane a lot of the times the work education lane and then high school becomes the place where we learn a lot of these interpersonal skills but that's a tense ass place <laughs> everybody's well, just on their own i say this often it's another one of my tuna sandwich things but it's like it is so fucked that the mean things that people say to you then that's like the reality you see yourself in through these mm-hmm. things and you have to like unlearn what this fucking nimwit in seventh grade said that's destroyed my life like it is one little kids were it's i wish we could get rid of it it's it's wild to me well it's like shedding what people make oh, you ahead, feel like or something yeah i don't know i guess the the, the what maybe is supposed to be the balance to that is having you know enough people in your life that you know love and trust you no matter what that that rolls off your shoulder and i think there's something weird about the ex no you can have both you can have both you can have both absolutely you can have both i don't mean to roll off your shoulder but it's like 
just have support system and a support yeah. system has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller as the family has gotten smaller and smaller. And that's not to say that everybody should have kids and all that shit. I'm just saying that like, we know and trust less and less people. I realized when I lived in New York, I didn't know my neighbors and I hadn't thought about that for 10 years. Like, I don't know the people who live around me that moved to LA. I didn't know the people who lived around me. I, I, I lived in the name. I lived in Los Feliz first, you know, and walk around and see people I know, but like this idea of being in a community, that's not a sub community, like the community of comedians where we just get, we live wherever the hell we can afford to live and however we can afford to live. And, but like, we're not all in the same hood, you know, or we don't know our neighbors. I feel like I'm losing my train of thought here. <laughs> my view on the nuclear family is like truly government constructed to help control mm-hmm. everybody. Cause also if you care about your family, then it's easier to other, other people and not really care about their existence. Cause you just care about keeping your kids safe. And I, yeah, I wish it was mm. takes a village style because um, I'm a child free person. That's I am a, I am a part of my friend's kids lives and my niece and nephews. And I, hope to be in their lives but i am like a i guess this goofy woman that's like in all of their houses but it used to be like everyone walk to your neighbors yes over here i grew up with that i like well my parents didn't have friends but i played with everyone on the block Where, where did you grow up again the chicago suburbs skokie oh okay Oh, Skokie, yes, yes. So we had our townhouses, and I was close to the schools, and I I don't know. Yeah, I miss, maybe it's Quaker shit, but, like, that was cool when I watched Now and Then, or, like, other, like, the butcher knows you. Bring this to your mom. We got the tab. Like, I love that. That's beautiful. That's that's really. But that has its own problems, because then everyone's in their business, and then you can't, like, escape if you're in, you know, I don't know. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. There's, you know, I don't mean to idealize that. I guess I'm just trying to say that, like, having a supportive community and communication is key. It is. And you are. And this is how kind of we started chatting is you have pandemic babies and we have pandemic kids and we have. um, I was talking to a friend. I don't remember who said that, but someone she knows is a teacher and she said the kids have come back like more aggressive and like willing mm-hmm. to say hurtful things to each other mm-hmm. um and racist shit to each other and mm. it's but that's not everywhere you also see cute example wait did you see the viral video it's like these kids at school and the teacher goes king show us number two and then he does and his friend goes yeah that's my boy you haven't seen that one no I haven't. it's so <laughs> fucking cute we'll make sure to email it to you because okay. it's just this like this boy picking the numbers the teachers asked for and his friend just like hyping him up hard <laughs> and it was That's so great. cute and the t- and i always love when the adults are laughing so then you hear the teacher like laughing like she can't and the joke is you need people like that in your corner um but yeah kids are all of us got more isolated i ended yes, friendships and angry other friendships became better, mm-hmm, but I also mm-hmm. realized my loneliness. So even if some friendships became deeper, I appreciated people on a new level or got rid of them. It's like the loneliness was real as well. Mm, absolutely. I did become nice. I thought I became 
Well, because I was desperate because I was lonely. Like, I'll talk to any barista. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what happened. It's always like, who are these women that won't leave these people alone? And it's me. Oh, I love your tattoo. You know? Yeah. And I, I mean, there is that thing about missing people. I think that happened. Like, we, I mean, look, we live in a society of it's very hard to trust other people. Everyone is always calling everybody else a liar. And I feel like that has a giant psycho emotional weight that well, our children so are trying to hold up and they're not tricks, strong enough. Trixie and Katya, drag queen superstars on their podcast, they were just, uh, just Katya was just saying she read something that like an average human will lie like seven times a day or something like that. Like <laughs> everyone is lying wow. constantly in little ways for no, it could just be like, I don't have change. You know, that's our but, culture, but we're yeah we're lying. We're a culture of self-preservation. That it, the self-preservation is the American way. That's the most American thing that we have. We don't, we, and that's why everything in the pandemic has happened. You know, the way that it's happened, like, and so it's like that's what I, I guess what I'm saying. Even in that whole "it takes a village" kind of a thing, there's something to growing up. I think knowing that there's a lot of different kinds of people, ages of people who are all doing different things that, that you can trust that are safe to be around. And that is the biggest thing that, that people are missing or that I think kids are missing that a lot of us in the eighties and nineties or whatever the hell didn't grow up with. And I think a lot of it has to do with our parents have been rejecting the whole nuclear family thing. They were oppressed by their parents and they didn't deal with any of that shit. So they just put it on us. <laughs> you know, and now we're trying to all break the cycle as a generation, which is a lot of lifting. It's a lot of heavy lifting. It's a lot of pressure on everybody. It just feels that way. And everybody's dealing with that pressure, that grief, that whatever the hell they're feeling in, in the only ways that they can. Damn. All right. Let's do one more voicemail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then fucking... Yeah, I'm going to take a shower and think about all this. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to shower. Well, today's the 50th anniversary of the Comedy Store Party. What? I did not. I... Yeah, there's like a 700 person invite. No plus one. Wild red card. They they like are closing down a lane of sunset. I think this is going to be wild. So, But I have a flight the next morning and I'm working up until I leave to go. Holy I got a hotel Lord. around there. But... I was being delusional. I was like, I'll be home by midnight. I'll get to my flight. And then I was like, I'm getting a hotel across the street and I'm packing right now. <laughs> like, I think it's going to be. That's an adult a decision. Party. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's another community that like, I've never really felt like I had a club. Like even in New York, I just was, I would just go where I went and booked. But in LA, I never really pursued like being at a place or anything. It like was that. necessary it. for me. Well, I, I would not move here without people. the comedy store. You're right. Everyone wants it. I'm just like, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, everyone no. wants to be <laughs> feeling welcome at a club. <laughs> um, no, I just mean it's, wants, it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. a really specific thing to being the comedians, knowing you have a, like a, having a home club is something that I have never experienced my entire career. Wow. But that's, that's because of me. That's yeah. my own prerogative. Yeah, but even if you don't have your club, what I love is like I can go to Australia. It's an international festival, and I can pretty much vibe with anybody. Oh sure. Like you're from Singapore, but you're a comic. Get like 
we're we're already eating weed at the zoo. Like there's just <laughs> not there is like a shorthand of uh, you're not going to be offended. Hopeful. There's just like a freedom of conversation and yes, and, and everyone is ready to talk though? shit. Where'd you learn that shorthand? I think we're born with it. No, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> the shorthand comes from a home club. Okay. But did you have you but you had shows or what is but you had shows that you ran a show. You you created that for yourself. Yeah, I did. Because before I, did. I had clubs when I was a young you know, early twenties, I ran a really cool show in Chicago with two other women and we were the place to be on Thursdays and that was the best. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a club. It's uh, right. but if you have like a, a show scene. you regularly had go a scene. to. You had a scene. Because there's people at that club that don't belong, or once you do belong, like I was at the cellar, my whole identity was being at the cellar, and then I got in a little bit of trouble at the cellar, and then my spots went away, and I lost my mind, because I, I, my whole value was attached to that place. Mm. And then I had to learn, like, okay, this is a place where I perform, I, I need, like, I love it, always feel welcome, cannot wait to be here again, but like... There's a br- there's a big world out there with your friends from Chicago too, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know how we stick together. All right, this is called Ratgate. Ooh, oh, this one's long. I'm a long time listener of all like three episodes that exist so far. First time caller. Um, I would like to tell you a story about a time that somebody who was already on their way to becoming an enemy really solidified that. I am currently 27 years old. I'm a Leo, and I work as a trauma therapist for kids and families. Okay. And I'm from Michigan. Thank you. I've also changed the names in this story um, for privacy's sake. So I met Sally and... Lexi, when we were working at this kid's place, very intense stuff. You basically trauma bond with your co-workers as you raise these poor little children. Anyway, the three of us became friends. We were all looking for housing. The three of us decided to move in together. We were warned, um, if you live with your friends, you'll probably end up enemies. And we were like, LOL, won't happen. Um, and I do stand by the fact that it wasn't living together. I mean, it was living together for why I'm enemies with Sally now, but Lexi and I remain a best of friends to this day. Um, so anyway, Oof. Sally had a pet rat, and then it was Sally's birthday right around Halloween weekend. This is the story is Rat Gate of 2019. Okay, and also she's a Scorpio, um, and so she had a pet rat. And then we went to um, out of town for her birthday weekend. Me and Lexi only went for that very night. And then Sally was staying gone the rest of the weekend um, because of her birthday and partying with other people. The whole birthday night out with other people was bad anyway. So when Lexi and I returned home to our shared house, we were like, there's kind of a smell that's weird. Check on her rat because, of course, she would leave every weekend. So it was our responsibility to take care of this pet rat. So check on the rat. It's not moving. It didn't eat the green bean that it was offered. Um, a smell is starting. Lexi, who is closer to Sally, they've been friends for forever, texted Sally and was like, hey, um, your rat doesn't seem like it's doing okay, just so you know. Anyway, Sally does still stay gone the whole weekend, comes back. Like, that rat is absolutely definitely dead. The smell keeps growing. As soon as you open the door to our house, it's bad. So then I text Sally, like, hey, looks like your rat died. I'm really sorry. Do you want me to do anything about it until you get home? Like, how can I help? 
she's like, no, I'll take care of it, whatever. Okay, so it fucking smells, right? Sorry if I can't swear, <laughs> but she's a bitch. And then um, she comes home Monday and still doesn't take care of it. On Tuesday, I'm like, hey, that's really starting to smell. Do you, I, I can imagine this is difficult for you. That was your pet and everything. Like, I'll bury it for you. I'll take it outside for you. What, what could I do for you? How can I support you in this moment while also addressing the fact that an animal, a rat, no less, is freaking rotting and smelling up our whole entire house, okay? And then she was like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'm going home on Wednesday. Mind you, at that time, it was like Monday or Tuesday, and she'll take it then. She was going to put this dead, stinky... That's it. She got... Wait a minute. She got cut off? She got cut off. <gasps> she talked too much. But I'm Please obsessed with her. second half of the story. I know. What the fuck, girl? Okay, but I'm kind of obsessed with her whole energy. I would love to go to a diner with her. <laughs> but you got to take care of... So, I mean, this is... Enough. I can't... I want to know everything that happened, but you got to clean up your dead pat rat. Like, I don't know what to say about that. I... Well, I feel like we did not get to the twist. I feel like we were barely on the second act there. Like, I don't, I wanted to know what the hell was going to happen. I can't believe she didn't call and give us more. And I also loved, um, what, like her stopping and pausing before she made up the names for the people. I don't know if you're oh, like, yeah. and my friend, Sally. Sally. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part too. Yeah. I guarantee she, she told the whole story and then look at the photo. It was like, holy shit, it hung up. How much it, it was like, I don't even know when it, when it drops. I have no idea when it drops. Um, so she probably did something fucked up with this rat. She probably mm. blamed them for killing the rat. I mean, I don't know. Also, if it's your pet, I just, if I got a call that my pet was sick, I would be coming back, I think. Unless I was in Thailand, maybe. I don't know. Oh, there's a lot of plot holes here is what you're trying to say, huh? Well, I was going to say, um, if you have, has this sparked you thinking about a roommate in your past or have you been a bad roommate? Like, have you had fucked up living situations? Or we talked oh, yeah. about in New York, like not knowing your neighbors, but have you, like, have you ever lived with someone you don't even know inside your own home? Yeah, I mean, I luckily the last situation I had in New York was the best. The first situation I had, I moved to New York with one dude I went to college with, and then two dudes I met at uh, the Williamstown Theater Festival. And that was a situation, especially once I ran out of money, because I didn't understand how money worked. So <laughs> when the lease was, was you know, the, the landlord, who I look back and she was probably younger than I am now very responsible she was uh when my lease was up it was like there was no way that she was gonna have me back as a tenant but so i was the bad roommate in that situation slept on the air mattress for a year someone stepped on it and a hump like formed in the middle of it that i also slept on top of and then my second spot in queens i got mold poisoning and something called Bell's Palsy, where the left side of my face didn't work for three weeks. Also, me and my roommate had a lot, that, that roommate had a lot of weird tension. I spent a lot of time alone in that place. And so when I got sick, this leak, the, this leak that became mold was in my room. So I like slept under it and shit. And, uh, but him and I had a lot of weirdness before that happened. That ended up being like, why i moved out 
I don't know that he ever believed whatever happened to me, but like that was just a very strange. I remember he he adopted this uh, cat that just pissed on everything, so everything outside of my room smelled like cat piss, and I, and it was like you have to get this very specific kind of cleaner to to clean up cat. It was a kitten, so it was like it was just like it was it was, it was just gross. <laughs> And then the last yeah. place I lived, perfect, perfect, perfectly pleasant. Even though we had bed bugs, it got solved pretty quick. Bed bugs, I hope they, oh God. I canceled road dates. Someone sent me um, a DM being like, hey, I saw you're going to this place. I have all these bed bugs from the hotel that I stayed at. And I had already like wanted to kind of cancel. And I went, this is from the universe and I'm canceling the, the game. <laughs> This is from the universe. I love that that's what you say before you give yourself permission. Yeah, because I, in my gut, it's, it's not, per, yeah, it's like, well, no, the goal always is like follow your gut, follow your intuition, follow your gut. Whatever you feel, do it, do it, do it. But it's hard because you have all these other factors convincing you of things or, well, they got me this or I should do that or am I lazy if I don't want to or is it because of that uh-huh, or this? Uh-huh. So, so then when it's like, well, you're, this won't work, and then this won't, and then you get a DM that's like, "There's bed," but I'm like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna continue waiting through all of this <laughs> to get to this gig, and then hate driving around Michigan. Okay, I'm just like cutting a bridge, and I'm out. I hope it's not the same part of Michigan that, that this voicemail is from. No, <laughs> no, but pet rats, fucking weird. Um, <laughs> This is incredible. Thank you so much for taking a chance on an enemy's podcast and doing this. Uh, yeah. Would you like to plug anything? Let people know where to find you. Are you working on something exciting? Something that they should watch on Paramount Plus or something? <laughs> the last season of Grace and Frankie <laughs> premieres on Netflix April 29th. The last ever season of Grace and wow. Frankie. And then we will have the we will have the title, the crown for the longest running series on Netflix after that. Uh, also, really, is uh, indeed we will have beat Orange is the New Black by three episodes. That's what I was thinking in my head was Orange is the New Black, and that means I'm so good at television. I can't believe I knew that, but cool. Three more episodes. Did you guys do that on purpose? They probably did. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? The show that we were talking about a little earlier. Uh, that I made with Open Mike Eagle. Uh, the new Negroes is on Paramount Plus, as you had mentioned. Um, check it out. I I always wanted to have a showcase show. I always wanted to have, you know, and and it was so strangely difficult at the time to get people to make a show about comedians as opposed to one specific comedian. I wanted to showcase comics and I wanted to get to point, you know, if we would have went on, I would have been able to break comics, which is like a dream of mine, you know, to be able to bring comics in that didn't live in New York and LA, you know, and give people TV credits. But I'm happy and proud of what we made with Open Mike Eagle. Um, a lot of different comics that you probably have heard of now. <laughs> Who'd you have in mind? We did have Lizzo on the show um, before she, yeah, that was right before she blew up too. Because, like, when frickin' um, Good as Hell came out, it, it was over. It was, it was over. When I heard that, I was like, 
this is the jam and Lizzo's about to blow up and then she did. Well, because I felt cool because I watched her at Radio City open for Haim and I came huh. just to watch Lizzo and you with no set, no nothing, like she was the opener and by the end of the set you could tell everyone was obsessed but I didn't watch Haim. I left during their first song. <laughs> I came that happens. for Lizzo and then I got to see her at the Palladium and I was like, she will never play a venue this small ever again. Well, um, Lizzo is also a, a friend of the cool. comedy community. Like I met her through stand-up shows. Yeah, I remember that. I wasn't. I was not in that. Uh, I wish. I mean, I'm. Obs- yeah. Who's not obsessed? Haters. <laughs> You're either obsessed or a hater. Or are those the only options? For Lizzo, yeah, I, I think she's divisive. Like Shalee was sharp. We were obsessed. going to be her first credit, but then I think she ended up doing one of the Tonight shows. Oh, I'm sorry, one of the late night shows uh, <laughs> before our show came out. And like people like that, you know, like just just really funny people. Really funny people. Check it out. And we have a there's a music original music video per episode, one of which has Lizzo in it. Well, this is not something to plug, and I don't even know if the you cared, but I remember getting excited when I saw you in girls. And Marnie's <laughs> wedding episode. Oh yeah! And would you touch on being on that set? I mean, people fucking hate Lena Dunham, and I was—I de- think people were unfair to her, and I was a defender. Uh, and then she's just so she's just she really wants people not to like her. You know, it's like you're defending a fucking sexual. Like, what do you want from us? We I were mean, look, for you, I, but you were on that I, set. I was on that set. I I was also. It was a very specific particular like everybody in that show was like blowing up in some way especially adam driver and so i didn't realize it because i never really watched girls like when i auditioned for it i watched some of the first seasons so i could kind of get a feel for the style of the acting but it, it was cool to be on the set i had no it was actually one of the best experiences because lena dunham actually directed the episode and she was a joy. She liked what I said about making the set fun and like making like checking in with all these different people and making sure that like there's a there's a feeling of play. So that way people feel safe to try things. That's how that set felt. That's good to hear because she was fucking 24 and put a show together. And I, re- I watched it again during the pandemic and it was like, she's not fat. And this is funny. <laughs> This is funny. It doesn't take itself seriously. It's smart and she looks fine and young and I don't, you know, but people were fucking pissed. Well, I didn't really, again, I didn't follow a lot of what has happened with her. Um, So I don't, I'm just talking about this particular experience. But it's good to know that she's good at work and that you had a good time on set and that part of that came from her directing it. My favorite part of being on that set, because we were in this really specific location. They had to put us up for the night. Andrew Rannells was particularly nice. And Jake Lacey is the biggest comedy nerd. uh, Would not stop talking about stand-up. He was quoting stand-up. He's like, Brian Regan has this joke. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Really? I mean, I was a guest star, so I didn't, like, jump into everybody's conversations and stuff. It's like a particular thing. But Jake Lacey... Andrew Randall's had just done The Nick, which was like a Showtime series with Clive Owen. And Jake Lacey was like Clive Owen's his favorite actor or something like that. So he was asking Andrew, like, what is, what's that like, man? What was that working like? We're talking with Clive Owen. Andrew Randall said, 
he's the best actor I have ever worked with in my life. Like he wasn't even joking. He was like, he's like, we were doing this scene where he's seeing things and hearing voices. He's like, I was literally scared. He's like, I've, I, he would say things and I was like, are we, is this camera rolling? Is this really, is this, I don't know what's happening. That happened to me the, with Edie Falco. She oh, made me wow. feel things that I, obviously I know it's not real, but I was feeling what she was wanting putting down and i was like shit you're so good yeah that was that was when i experienced it because sometimes when people are like oh i meditate or i do these things i don't believe them like i'm like okay but (laughs) um and so when people are like oh actually you feel it or i cried because i felt it in the moment you have to i sometimes don't believe people we were talking about trust i'm like i don't know i don't buy it but then um yeah being able to then experience that i was like fuck is that so? You have both of your parents. I do. Yes. Is, uh, does your mother say I don't buy it a lot? They are, um, but I love tarot. I like a lot of other stuff. Like I love <laughs> mediums. Like I am naive. I get tricked a lot. I like. I'm. I'm. It's like a particular. That would be a particular thing when people are like, "I meditated and I transformed." I'm like, yada yada. Or speaking in tongues, I don't buy it. There's like maybe it's I don't oh, know. Okay. Like I don't. But that could just be like self centeredness, whereas I haven't experienced it, so I don't believe that it exists. But like, I I believe in other things that I haven't experienced too. I don't know. I don't. But mm. my parents did grow up in communism, Stalin, all of that, and so. They're in, very, in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Holy shit! So my parents, my parents were born in 1938 and 1945. So I have wow. early parents. So um, and we didn't come so to the America until Khrushchev. ninety. No, wow. we came at ninety. Oh, in ninety. Okay, all right. So right before the fall of everything, but to them, it's Oof. you know we like when I first found out, some people just go to a store and buy a thing. I couldn't believe it because for us, it was like an all day thing to all the different stores. And then you bring back the price and you have to look at everything. If I do- like my doctor, my dad would change the doctor prescriptions and be like, they're fucking with you. They just want you to like, they want to get you addicted to pills. Don't do pill. You know? So I grew up like if something hurt, we didn't go to the doctor. Yeah. There was a mistrust overall, but I do trust like witchy things at times, but yeah, I did grow up with my. I was. I talked to uh, Clark Jones earlier today, and I was telling him, I was like, you know, my mom has no friends. Don't trust people. People are out to get you. Yeah. Well, if I grew up in Soviet Russia, they'll fuck your friend. Because when I one time my um, this is an ex, but like one of my boyfriends and my best friend, everyone was a stand up, but they went on the road together, and my mom was like, I can't believe you're letting them travel together and i was like i don't know it's my friend and my boy like i don't care and she she was just like her mind was blown Mm. that it just didn't even occur to me that there would be a problem with that Mm. so Mm. yes i guess yes you therapized me and you got there i just wonder where the hell this came from but like (laughs) inherently distrustful i got it got it yeah secrets but um are there things that you don't feel comfortable telling your parents? Yeah, we don't talk about it, lots of stuff. Okay. We don't Man, even uh, say I, I love know. you. We just started texting. Uh, 
No, that's what the love and trust. Like I knew I was loved and trust, but like we did not talk about stuff, problem, nothing deep. Cultural silence. Yes, if I'm upset, I had that. Yeah. Don't ever cry, and you don't have. And it's like, okay, well, I'm crying. Um. Yeah, we don't talk about personal stuff. We're not watching sex scenes. I mean, things are different now that everyone's older and stuff. But yeah, no communicate, no nothing nice. My mom was sweet, but from dad, yeah, never a compliment, no hugs, no physical attention, no like mm-hmm. kind, no good job. Wow. But they were always at the game. They were always at the swim meet. They were always at the play. They sacrificed. Yeah. They did the things, but so it they wasn't... were physically present, but not necessarily psychologically or emotionally. Yeah, but it's what you said about surviving, and so a lot of parent. Like I was reading that, like people with like people like me mm-hmm. that have parents that escape war, genocide, starve, like tr- you know that kind of shit. They're yeah. about surviving, and so once yeah. they have you, it's like, yeah, what else do you need? Look at. My mom didn't have running water till America. So you know, I'll tell you this podcast. I just heard that had a great perspective on this. It's uh, what's her name? Brene Brown. Oh yeah, cool. It's unlocking us. That's the name of the podcast, but it's specifically her interview with Esther Perel. Oh, so the big heavyweights. Yes, Esther Perel. I did not know that her parents were in Auschwitz. So she has this really amazing perspective on being a child of people who came out of this crazy oppressive experience. You know, people should want to know this. Hopefully we don't have to cut it out. Wait, what's her name? What's the name of the podcast? Uh, Unlocking Us. Yeah, she actually like she actually breaks down the types of parents that kind of come out of that, those situations and when they can be aloof and when they're silent and all these things. And I was like, wow, I mean, I haven't experienced it like that, you know, but well, cause I'm also a brat. And so when people find <laughs> out that I was like this, you know, re- we came on religious asylum and I slept in a dining room, like people find that hard to believe because I'm like such a brat <laughs> like that. And I don't know mm. how that existed, but even within my home, like my, both my parents had nothing. Right. But my dad saved, save, 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 save. And my mom's like, I want you to have things that I didn't have. Mm. So even within the home, but that's not like full rearing, but my mom is a loving person, but it's through food. It's cooking. It's, it's asking how long did it take to get there? Did you drive the speed limit? Would you? And it's like, who cares? Why aren't you like, uh, I don't think you have to, I mean, I, I'm not of the camp that you have to have to say, I love you and kiss everybody. Like it's, it's, it's not necessarily a requirement and the only way to express those emotions. No, and it makes me uncomfortable when people casually say it or they keep, they're like touching me and I'm like, get away from me. <laughs> Why are you saying I love you? Like I've met you seven times and we're like casual acquaintances. What are you doing? Let's get boundaries. Let's get boundaries. We should wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. All right. We got to go. <laughs> I can't believe I kept you for so long. It's okay. I got to go raise these kids. Uh, no, thank you so much. I feel um, very grateful that you did this. Sorry. I, I, we didn't plan on the Holocaust talks, but. <laughs> That's true. But a lot of this has come up because of the conflict. Because I'm like, where I'm born is Ukraine. And so it's just like. Mm. I'm thinking of my parent, what they went through right now. And I feel like I've avoided it and they don't want to talk about anything. 
but I'm like, what the I mean, fuck? This is a, I, I'm, I'm trying so hard not to continue this conversation. <laughs> but just stop saying interesting shit. But hopefully I'll, co- I'll come to Atlanta one day. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. But I'm going to listen to Brené Brown and Estelle Perel for sure. I listened to that on the road trip here. With all the kids or you drove alone? We switched off cars until Rhiannon got sick and the kids got sick. And then what happened? Then I stayed in the alone car and they stayed in the sick car. Oh, my God. It was not COVID, luckily. Damn, interesting. All right, thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. I know you loved the episode. How incredible of a person. I just like really enjoyed our chat and I wanted to keep chatting. I we both just like had hard outs, um, but we could have had like 40, 45 an hour left in us. We were I think vibing in terms of communication. So I just like, I'm so grateful. I hope you liked it. Hit him up, follow his shit, watch his shit, Baron Vaughn, find it everywhere. Find me. I'm sorry. I'm not that active on the enemy's Instagram, but get a life. Um, thanks again. I'm, should I say grateful one more time is grateful. The new wellness. Okay. Bye. Enemies is a headgum podcast. Trish Hadley is our executive producer, engineer, and editor. Katie Moose is our supervising producer from Headgum. Me, Lisa Traeger, I am also a producer. Hello. Thank you so much, Carly Jean Andrews, for the cover art. You're incredible. Jack Krause, thank you for the theme music. I love it. Please follow me on Instagram at either at GlitterCheese or at EnemiesPodcast. Tell us about your own enemies by emailing EnemiesThePodcast at gmail.com or calling 323-677-1943. That was a HeadGum Podcast.